Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Love of Speed Formula One podcast series. My name is Thomas Billsborough, and joining me, as always, is the one and only Connor Farmer. Connor, we're just getting back from our holiday break now. How was your holiday? How was your Christmas, your New Year's? How was the family? How was it? Uh, it was great, Tom. Uh, it was busy as usual, um, but a little bit more quiet this year. Uh, I think with you know everything going around worldwide, it was definitely uh, a little bit slower in terms of the foot traffic, which... Uh, I didn't mind too much. It was kind of nice to just have a little bit more of a relaxing holiday season. Uh, but overall, it was fun. I, you know, enjoyed being with family and uh, just kind of having some time to, to sit back and relax. How about yourself? Oh, I had a great holiday. I had some family come down and visit, and uh, I spent Christmas out on the coast sitting with the palm trees in 75-degree weather. So it was nice and enjoyable on my end for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm definitely jealous about that one. I, I uh, did not enjoy the same luxuries as you there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, enjoy the snow up there. Um, <laughs> so we are back from our holiday break. And on this episode, I mean, there's no race recap. There's no race coming up. We are in the off season, But for this episode and for our next episode, we're actually going to be breaking down our 10 Formula One teams and really kind of getting an in-depth look as to how the drivers fared up against one another. Um, in this episode, we're going to be covering our one through five teams. So that's going to be Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, and Alpine. Uh, Connor, anything before we get started and get right on into it here? Oh, uh, yeah, let's let's jump right into it, kind of see how these uh, teams shaped up this year. Yeah, so we're going to be judging them off of a certain criteria that we got. We're going to be taking a look at how the drivers fared against each other on race results, qualifying points, best race finish, highest grid position, and how many times did they have a DNF through the season. We're going to be starting off with our Constructors Champion Team, Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team. That has Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, who is making the move over to Alfa Romeo. Actually, it's 2022 now, so Valtteri Bottas is an Alfa Romeo driver. And George Russell is a Mercedes driver. I forgot. It's 2022, and all these moves are like happening now. It is pretty incredible. Right? George Russell is Mercedes. But anyway, before I get sidetracked, this season... Between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, on terms of race, it went 18-4 in favor of Lewis Hamilton. Qualifying, it looks like it was 17-5 to in favor of Lewis Hamilton. Points, Lewis Hamilton finished the season with 387.5 to Valtteri Bottas's 226 points. Best race finish, both of them won a race this season, so... First on that, highest grid position. Both drivers did secure pole position, so first on that as well. So we have a tie on race finish and grid position. But when we look at how many DNFs there were, Valtteri Bottas had four DNFs this year to Lewis Hamilton's one. So, Connor, looking at Mercedes this year, um, it's pretty clear as to who the number one driver is there, you know, and all that granted as to which one is sticking around. But how do you think those two did against each other this year it was the last time that we're going to see those two on the same team, five seasons together at Mercedes between those two. And Lewis Hamilton said he was the best teammate he's ever had. Oh, without a doubt. I think that there was a, a definite, you know, a definite bond between the two. I think that, uh, uh, you know, for as, as uh, historic as, you know, a season as we saw Lewis, you know, just kind of on pace all year doing, doing just Lewis Hamilton-esque type things. Uh, I think Valtteri Bottas really, really showed us this year, uh, you know, even though it may not show in the numbers uh, when we directly, you know, compare the two. But just just overall, I think we, we saw that that Valtteri is, he, he's arguably a top driver, you know, in this in this stage. And he uh, he had multiple, you know, instances this season where, he just he he outperformed. Uh, I think a lot of people's expectations, and uh, I think it really kind of showed throughout the season. And I, I really do think that it's a duo that will be missed. Um, 
I think that, you know, I, I, I don't think there was any, any real question as to, you know, who was the number one driver on the team there, but they did seem to, uh, to kind of gel very well and just kind of, they, they, when they needed to, uh, were, were definitely a, a pretty, pretty cooperative team. And they, uh, they, as you know, as we see with this, this eighth straight constructors championship, um, they, they, they know how to perform and they know how to, uh, t- to win as a team. So, uh, it was definitely, uh, it was fun to watch while we, uh, while we got to experience it for sure. It has been great to see Valtteri Bottas at Mercedes over the last five seasons, especially if we look back on that Mercedes team from 2016 and back when it was uh, the pairing of Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg and how much tension there was in that team, how much of a rivalry it was between those two drivers. Now, you got to remember the difference between having Nico Rosberg as your teammate and Valtteri Bottas as your teammate from the Lewis Hamilton standpoint is Rosberg actually did beat Hamilton to the championship in 2016. Valtteri phenomenal driver in my opinion if the likes of hamilton verstappen you know if they're not in the picture bottas is that driver that's going to be getting the title so he's right up there in the conversation of you know great drivers to never win a title i think he has 18 race wins to his name and i think that's like second on the list for um actually no he's first on the list now in that because verstappen won the title so Valtteri Bottas is actually first on the list of drivers with amounts of wins to not have the title. So, you know, it's been great to see him at Mercedes over the last five seasons. He has absolute championship potential, which he's going to be bringing and all of that knowledge to Alfa Romeo, where he's going to be leading that team with his rookie teammate, Guan Yu Zhou, coming into the sport. But I think his strongest season was probably 2019. He was real neck and neck with Lewis Hamilton that year. 2020, he got a great start to the season as well. Um, I think it would have been a bit of a different storyline, though, with Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes if Mercedes had given him an extended contract, um, like, earlier. You know what I mean? Like, how we saw Alfa Romeo give him a multi-year deal this year, and after that deal was signed, Valtteri Bottas goes on a phenomenal run, pole position, winning races, and a lot of that, I bet, just came down to the comfort of knowing what the next couple of years in Formula One are going to be. Because as we've seen before in this sport, if you're out, you can be out forever. So to have the next couple of years now sorted, I think that gave him comfort to do better than he did um, previously with Mercedes, where it was always just a, a one-year deal. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And I think, you know, you, you look at just the just the job security of it all you know it's it's one of those situations in which um you you think as as a driver and and you've seen kind of what he's done with mercedes uh you know he he more than deserved you know a a multi-year contract um but again you know for for mercedes they they know that they have this this uh very young and uh you know uh talked about and hyped up uh, driver who's kind of just waiting in the ranks there with George Russell. Um, and I think it was just kind of uh, for, for them, it was, it was a buildup of, you know, they, they knew that they had a, a great number two driver, but uh, they, they wanted to see kind of, you know, what, what the, uh, what the future holds and, and what the, uh, this upbringing of, of a young driver like George, uh, what it will bring. And my question for you is now that they are parting ways with Valtteri, Obviously, we know that they've won the, you know, the eight straight consecutive constructors championships here. Um, they've really just been on a, a dominant string um, when, it, when it comes to that constructors. With the arrival of George Russell to Mercedes, do we see a new constructors champion next year? 
you know, I think, I think we will see a new champion in the constructors next season. Um, however, who it is, is going to be a, a tricky one to get more of an answer on because mm-hmm. I think, I think this season, um, if Perez gave himself a little bit less to do on Sundays, then we could have seen a new constructor champion this season. But mm-hmm. um, my bet for next season is still on Ferrari winning the constructors title and being quite dominant from the um, data that I've been gathering up and some of the research that I've been doing. And I think Ferrari is going to be the, the team that's going to be a, a reckoning force next season. So I think that there will be a, a new constructors champion next year. I think mm-hmm. that George Russell is going to do phenomenal with Mercedes. I do. Um, especially if we just look at last season at the secure Grand Prix where George Russell actually got his Mercedes debut when uh, Hamilton was out for two weeks when he had COVID. So Russell stood in. And I think that if Russell didn't get that late puncture, that he would have won that race. So I think he would have won on debut with Mercedes. And I think he's going to continue that form. He's an extremely talented young driver. He has absolutely just grabbed onto that Williams team as it was at its lowest point and brought it back to a podium finishing and point scoring organization. So I think that there's nothing but potential with George Russell. Um, I think it's going to be extremely interesting to see how George Russell and Lewis Hamilton get on, especially if Russell gives them a good run for his money. But um, I think it's going to change the whole front of the grid, that one little move, because the conversation has always been, you know, of Verstappen and Leclerc and Norris. But now, you know, Russell has always been this kind of like background character. It's always been this like, well, but when Russell goes to Mercedes or like, Mm -hmm. well, when he gets there, but okay, now he is there. So I think that's going to, Changed a lot of things for sure, but I think it, we will see a different constructors champion next year. But I think it's going to be Ferrari, definitely, definitely. So moving on now from Mercedes, let's take a look at Red Bull Racing. Now on that Milton Keynes outfit, we had our 2021 champion Max Verstappen and his teammate Sergio Perez. They finished in second in the constructors championship though with 585 and a half points. Looking at the team breakdown. Max Verstappen won 19 races compared to Sergio Perez's three. Max Verstappen outqualified Sergio Perez 20 times to two. On terms of points, Max Verstappen won the championship with 395 and a half points compared to Sergio Perez's 190. So a bit of a gap there. Uh, best race finish. Both drivers did win a race this season, so it was a tie there on first. Highest grid position, though, Verstappen got pole. Uh, I forget how many times. I think it was. 11 times he got pole position this season. Some outrageous number like that. Uh, Perez did not get pole position. His highest grid position was second. DNFs, they are both tied on three apiece, though. So, Connor, what do you make of all that? Uh, I just think uh, this season was it was obviously a, a little bit of a letdown in terms of not being able to uh, to steal that constructors from Mercedes. But but overall, for Red Bull, I mean, there, there couldn't have been uh, a much better season outcome in terms of how these drivers performed obviously with max taking the driver's championship it was a a a much you know a a long awaited uh you know victory and and championship for himself uh and then i I think the the bringing in of of checo was just uh it was a phenomenal signing and i I think it was one that was probably questioned a, a bit from from people for a while on you know he he being the the right driver to bring into that situation but I think this year he uh, not only proved that he was probably one of the best options, he was the the perfect option for Red Bull to go with in terms of that signing. And he uh, he really did, uh, you know, he struggled a little bit here and there in terms of qualifying throughout the season. And, and as you said, you know, maybe he could have done a little bit more 
to to really be on for that uh, constructors. But but overall, I mean, when it kind of, when it came really down to being just a great teammate for someone like Max, uh, I think that you 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 could you're going to have a hard time finding anybody better to fit that role than uh, than Checo was this year. Yeah, that's actually that's exactly the same kind of um, thought process that I had too when I was looking at the you know okay well how is Perez as a teammate to Verstappen and then you know we have to look back at his relate at Max Verstappen's relationship with Alex Albon when he was his mm-hmm. teammate, yeah. Pierre Gasly when he was his teammate, Daniel Ricciardo when he was his teammate. Absolutely. There was there was a bit of tension between the two and it was always you know Verstappen's team and Perez kind of came in knowing that this is Max Verstappen's team, learned early in the season that Verstappen is on for the championship and spent the entire season just getting familiar with the Red Bull outfit and helping Max in every situation that he could. So I think that in terms of, you know, is Perez the right teammate um, long term? I don't think Perez is the right teammate, but short term for at least the next couple of seasons, I think it's the perfect matchup for sure. I think even just Perez coming to Red Bull in general, um, he's now in a team where he can showcase some of the talent that he has because it was always like, you know, we always saw Perez top of the best of the rest that they would say, you know, outside of the, the top teams finishing in the drivers outside of the, uh, you know, top finishers. One, it was usually Perez that was on top of that. But, you know, with him in the Red Bull, we were able to see him have phenomenal battles up at the front he has a new nickname he's the minister of defense which is pretty um earned in my opinion i think he is one of the best defenders on the grid apart from maybe fernando alonso and sebastian vettel but that's phenomenal company to have your name a part of so i think short term perez being at the team is great um i think his biggest downfall is he does he struggles more in qualifying and on single lap pace than he does on race pace and racecraft, which is why we see him have these phenomenal drives through the field, but he's always having a phenomenal drive through the field because he doesn't quite qualify up there. But, and in terms of gaps in qualifying between Perez and Verstappen and stay Albon and Gasly and Verstappen, Perez does have the upper hand on his former two drivers. So I think short term, it's a perfect pairing. Um, I'm excited to see what Sergio Perez can do next season for sure with the new regulations. He said a couple of times himself that he's going to be trying to make a good run for the championship, which I'm all excited to see for sure. But I think it's a perfect pairing. Perez just getting in, getting a bit used to the team. I think he's going to have a great year next season. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, just swinging it back to looking at the past teammates there of Max and you, you, you kind of compare the two. You look at Checo, who is, you know, a bit older, a bit more seasoned, a bit more, you know, uh, controlled in his approach where, you know, he's, uh, I, I guess you could kind of say he's he's much more of a, a finesse type of driver. Um, and then, you you know, you look back to an Alex Albon who was, you know, just uh, uh, a, a kind of surprise rookie who, who was just trying to prove his worth and, and probably had a lot more on his plate to handle than he he really could to start his career there. Uh, and then you look at, you know, Gasly, who was in a, a similar boat where it's just these these young guys who really want to prove that, well, you know, even though I'm on a team with Max, I'm still a very good, you know, young driver. Maybe I could be the number one. Um, and then also, you know, obviously with, with uh, Ricardo, he was someone who was definitely on the top of his craft, but uh, a very aggressive driver and, and personality, to say the least, uh, in terms of, you know, not being uh, being silenced or, or stepping down to anybody in terms of, uh, 
you know, a, a team saying, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so's team, you're going to be the number two. Uh, so I, I think that you look at the, the comparisons to those past teammates that really didn't pan out at all uh, compared to someone who's a, a bit older, a bit more seasoned and kind of just came in like, hey, listen, I'm just happy to be getting the opportunity. Let's go out and show people what I can do. Uh, and uh, I think he, he really did fill that role just excellently. I, I don't think Red Bull could have asked for a much of a better season for uh, from Checo. And I think it's a – I mean, you look at Checo Perez's career, especially over the last, what was it, seven or eight years that he was at Force India, and then mm-hmm. it was Racing Point, and then it was he was supposed to be going to Aston Martin, but they kind of nubbed him on that one and kicked him out for Sebastian Vettel. Yep. Um, yep. This has really just been the the season where he can showcase his talents. He has he had phenomenal results this year as well. I mean, granted, he only scored 190 points compared to Verstappen's 395, but at the same time, he had phenomenal drives and fully earned all those points. So I think it was a great year for Perez. I think it was a great year for these two as teammates. They got along great. They fought well on the track and helped each other. So I think it's a great driver pairing. I think it's up there on terms of the list of, you know, best driver pairing on the grid. I think it's well up in that top three conversation for sure. And, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see what that team can go, can do um, going forward. It, there's going to be that question though, if, if Perez could have done more in qualifying and given himself less to do on Sundays, could there have been a different outcome in the constructors? And that conversation can swing either way, but it's going to be one of those things that's going to be talked about and we'll see how everything goes next season as to whether or not that storyline will continue or whatever the case may be for the future, whether they bring Gasly back in afterwards that or someone else. Yeah, without a doubt, it should be a a pretty fun storyline to watch. And uh, we definitely are enjoying so far how these two have gotten along and battled it out throughout the season. Yeah. So let's take a look at our next team. Finishing the season in third was the Scuderia Ferrari. That is driven by Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. They had a phenomenal battle all season with McLaren, but came out on top with 323 and a half points. Now let's take a look at the team breakdown between these two. In terms of race comparison, Charles Leclerc won 14 to Carlos Sainz eight races. Charles Leclerc outqualified uh, Carlos Sainz 13 times to nine. In terms of points, though, Carlos Sainz outscored Charles Leclerc 164 and a half to 159. Best race finishes is a tie because they both got second place. Highest grid position, though, Charles Leclerc did put it on pole in Monaco. And Carlos Sainz, unfortunately, did not get pole position throughout the season. He did start P2 in Russia, though, giving him a second place highest grid position. But Charles Leclerc did have one DNF compared to Carlos Sainz. Zero DNFs all season. Saw the checkered flag every race. Yeah, it was uh, definitely quite an impressive season overall by these two young drivers. Uh, I, I think it kind of took us all by surprise in, in uh, you know, in terms of how they really, I mean, they instantly clicked, it seemed. Uh, it seemed like almost every weekend uh, we, we saw these two drivers very close to each other uh, and, and really kind of battling it out for, you know, that not really the, the top, top spots every weekend, but just you know really fighting hard to be at the top of that mid-pack um and it it was uh just phenomenal racing i I think all year from two two young drivers that are proving that you know they're they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for for years to come here and uh you know if if what we've been hearing in terms of the you know upgrades are are going to be consistent and uh you know it it seems like ferrari's really kind of setting themselves up for what what's going to be a a very healthy and uh fun 
2022 season. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm excited to see how these two get on next season and, and really see, you know, who, you know, which is the, the biggest question, who is the number one driver at Ferrari, you know, and, and in your opinion, Tom, who do you think right now, if you had to put a name on it, I know it's, it's, it's probably a killer question, but if you had to put a name on it right now, who are you putting in driver's seat number one for Ferrari? It's so debatable that I knew that you were going to hit me with this question too. Um, so if I'm going to pick a number one driver at Ferrari, it's still going to be Charles Leclerc. Even though Carlos Sainz outscored him this season, it's still going to be Charles Leclerc. I would like to correct myself early, um, on my stat earlier, though. Uh, Charles Leclerc had two DNFs this season, not one compared to Carlos Sainz zero. But I think that's actually what cost him that top seat at Ferrari. Um, because let's see, he put it on pole in Monaco, but then he crashed in Q3. And the car wasn't ready for the race, so we couldn't even start the race. So there yeah. was one DNF. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you put it on pole in Monaco, there's not really a lot of places to pass around there. And that Ferrari was, he, it was hooked up really well that weekend as well. So I think that Leclerc would have won that race. So that would have been 25 points to him. Um, so I think in terms, and if we look at the at the race comparison and the qualifying comparison as well, that's also kind of what speaks to um, keeping Charles Leclerc as the number one driver at Ferrari because it's 14-8 and then it's 13-9. Now, granted, they're still really close, and that was kind of the thing. That was like the running theme that we saw throughout the season, at least for Ferrari. You could check the, the scoreboard at any time, and the Ferraris are right next to each other. Qualifying, race, they're always right next to each other. Ferrari ran them on similar strategies this season a lot because they could. They have very similar pace. They both get the absolute max and then some out of the car that they can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was that was kind of the, the thing that played to the benefit as well is they could just push each other as hard as they can, keep a great relationship as well, and help and sometimes hurt each other on track. But they could work as a team. And a lot of people thought with Carlos Sainz coming to Ferrari from McLaren for this season that he was just immediately going to slot in as the number two behind Charles Leclerc. But I think of all of the drivers that made a change in teams throughout the off season, I think Carlos Sainz had the best transition from one team to another because Ricardo struggled in his switch over to McLaren. Perez struggled a bit in his switch over to Red Bull. Carlos Sainz was always consistent. And I think that's really what helped him so much was that, he was always at the factory. He was always working in the simulator. He was always just getting to grips with the team, how they operate. And it paid off on the, on the track. And he had a, a very, very strong season. Definitely not one to be reckoned with. Um, I was extremely impressed, but I would still give the number one seat to Star Leclerc. Yeah, I think I, uh, I, I think, you know, long, long story short, I, I would have to definitely agree with you on that one. I, I, I still think that, uh, he he is uh you know just just a, a touch more talented of a driver. I, I I do think that Carlos Sainz is uh I think he's a phenomenal talent and he proved this year that he is definitely you know as you said he's a a force to be reckoned with and he is you know proven to be you know a, a top driver in this in this platform and I think that he's going to continue especially you know the more time that he gets in in you know in the simulator and the more time that he gets accustomed to uh this team he's going to just continue to grow and continue to uh to perform great but uh, I I do think that you know I, I think Charles is I think he's probably 
you know, a, a top five driver in this, uh, in this platform, I think he really is going to uh, start clicking. And I think he's going to be, uh, you know, in, in the conversation, you know, it's a bold prediction, but I do think he may be, you know, one of those drivers that we see in the conversation for, you know, maybe possibly a, a driver's championship uh, in the coming years, because he, uh, he definitely is, is a great driver and a great talent. And uh, I think if Ferrari can put it all together and be that, that reckoning force again, uh, I think that there's no doubt that he'll be up there in the conversation. I think, I think Charlotte Claire has been in that conversation of championship contenders since 2019 Monza and just the 2019 season in general, but especially that Italian Grand Prix where he won it for Ferrari. I think it was the first time in God, quite a quite a number of years that actually Ferrari had won in Italy, yep. but it was a phenomenal drive. He fought off both Mercedes the entire race and kept it clean. And I mean, literally from lap one to the end, fought off both Mercedes and won. I think from the 2019 season and on, Charles Leclerc has been in that conversation of a championship contender given the right car. And I think Ferrari know that he's a championship contender and that's why he has a contract through 2024 or 2025 one of those two years he has a a contract through i know it's the longest contract that's ever been given to a ferrari driver so i think ferrari as well as everybody see the amount of potential that they have in Charles leclerc but i think now this first season that carlos Sainz has put in kind of puts him in that mix as well because the the thing about ferrari when we look at mercedes and we look at red bull when we look at the two drivers for those teams, there's a bit of an age gap between them. There was an age gap between Verstappen and Perez. There wasn't too much of an age gap between Hamilton and Bottas, but now there is between Russell and Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc are both under 26. So that also is a huge factor is they have these very talented drivers that they can keep around for a couple of years. Charles Leclerc is set through 2024. Carlos Sainz, he could be there until Schumacher is ready, for all we know. But as of right now, it doesn't really look like there's going to be anybody else contesting for that other seat, really. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely a, a very, very bright spot for Ferrari to know that they have these two young drivers uh, and, and well, you know, as you said, you know, they'll, they'll have uh, these two young drivers for just about as, as long as they, they seem to want. Um, you know, uh, you never know what will happen with uh, with Mick. And, you know, we, we don't know if uh, Ferrari has any secret plans to uh, slide him into that spot. But it really seems like he would be, uh, you know, one of the only true uh, replacements for that for that second seat there aside uh, Charles. So it's 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 a good problem to have for Ferrari. And I think that. Uh, they definitely are looking forward to these next couple of years. It's a great problem to have if you're Ferrari. Absolutely. Have you have you seen the banter that Ferrari have been posting on Twitter? Uh, I think yeah. it's it's like they know that they're going to be extremely fast next season. I, it's it's going to be unbelievable. Let's move on to our next team. Finishing fourth this season in the Constructors' Championship was McLaren. They finished the year on 275 points. McLaren have Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris to their name. Let's take a look at the team breakdown. Lando Norris won 15 races to Daniel Ricciardo, 7. Out-qualified him 15-7 to seven as well. As term for points, Lando Norris outscored uh, Daniel Ricciardo 160 points to 115. Best race finish, Daniel Ricciardo did win the Italian Grand Prix, followed up by Lando Norris, who was a 1-2 for McLaren, a very papaya day in Italy. Highest grid position, though, is where that switches around because Lando Norris did put it on pole in Russia, 
but we won't talk about that any further because it still breaks my heart. Daniel Ricardo did not put it on pole, but he did get a front row start and start P2. In terms of DNF, both drivers did tie with one DNF through the season. So, Connor, when we look at McLaren, everybody talks about the beginning of the year with Ricardo and some of the struggles that he had, you know, what could have been. But I think there's a bit more to it than just that. So what did you think of McLaren this year? Yeah, I think overall, um, I, you know, I think a lot of people were were possibly disappointed with McLaren. Um, but I really do think that uh, looking at the bigger picture of things, uh, I think you look at Daniel Ricciardo coming to the team. Uh, obviously, we, we all know that he's an incredibly talented driver. He's incredibly quick. Um, but making the transition, as we've seen with other drivers, um, you know, it, it's not as easy as it, as it may seem. Uh, you know, it's, it's a whole new system. It's a, a whole new, uh, you know, setup that you're having to kind of just adjust to and, and readjust to after just, you know, making that switch from uh, one car to another. And what, you're I, telling me all you, the cars aren't the exact same. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, they, they, they have, you know, different setups. And I, I think that we have such expectations for such talented drivers, like, you know, Daniel is, um, and we, you know, as we all have seen them for the past couple of years, really competing for that, you know, maybe third or fourth spot on the constructors, you know, it's, it was a, a year that we, we definitely, we thought that McLaren was going to be maybe a little bit more trouble to the Ferraris than they were. But um, overall, I, I think we look at the, the beginning of the year and we saw Lando really having a, a great start to the year. He, he kind of dwindled out with some, some really just straight up unfortunate events. Uh, I think that, you know, it was a, an unfortunate season in terms of his second half, but overall it was, it was a good season for McLaren. I think that next season they'll come back a lot stronger. Um, Not only do they have a a great young budding talent in Lando, but I think, you know, Daniel will be a lot more comfortable with the car. He'll be able to at least start the season kind of knowing full, you know, full cover front and cover, you know, of, of what he's getting into in the car that he's going to be, you know, driving throughout the entire season. Um, And for as many adjustments that he had to make, uh, we also forget to, you know, to realize that McLaren, uh, you know, they had to make adjustments to the style of his driving, um, you know, just as much as he had to adjust his style of driving to the car that he was going to be, you know, in for this entire 2021 season. So uh, I think overall it was it was a little bit bumpy, but I think it was uh, a decent season. Granted, uh, you know, the, all the unfortunate events that we saw throughout the season for McLaren, for sure. Yeah, McLaren really had they had a very strong season, no doubt. I think they improved on last season um but when it came to mclaren this year they were either on or they were off and it seemed as if there were just no in between mm-hmm. and you know yeah dana ricardo had a shaky start to the season but like you said he has to adjust to a new car the team has to adjust to him everybody knows dana ricardo as the last of the late breakers he's going to break as late as possible and just try to pick up positions that way that's been a favorite driving style of his and i think coming when he went to renault he couldn't really have that same ability with the car as he did with the red bull when he came to mclaren he had a little bit of the same issue again but it was a little better but i think it also comes down to just the car itself because the the car in my opinion it seemed to do best on on tracks with long wide open throttled areas with 
very heavy breaking points and slow speed corners followed up by it. That's why they won one, two in Monza in Russia. They were on pole position and that was sort of a theme throughout the season. If it was a higher elevation track, like when we went to Brazil and when we went to Mexico, you know, the team really struggled there a lot. And, you know, that is also in the second half and Lando Norris, in my opinion, had the unluckiest second half of any driver on the grid. Really. It was, um, pretty shaky for him at the end of the year. And a lot of it was just out of his control as well. Contact with other drivers and mechanical failures. And he had a real, I think his season as a whole doesn't really reflect on how good he was this year because of the second half. Um, But I think just overall the team improved, but I think that they, maybe they're holding back a little bit on this season because they're, focusing some of their research and development into next season mm-hmm. because you, you got to remember as well um the regulations that are starting next season were supposed to start in 2021 so they pushed them back a year and they carried the cars over from 2020 that's why we saw you know williams with the fw43b we saw red bull with the rb16b mclaren with the mcl 35m it was all of these second generation cars of what they had the previous season. So if the car wasn't really too great the previous year, then chances are it wasn't really going to be too hot in 2021 or it was going to be right around that same pace. So um, I think McLaren did the the most of, you know, what they had. It's Mm going to be, it's going to be a historic season for the team just because of the Italian Grand Prix um, as well as Lando Norris getting his first pole position this year. They have a phenomenal young talent in him as well. Um, so the future looks bright for McLaren. I think that it's more or less going to be a matter of, can they stay in that top five? Can they stay in that top three or will we see them kind of dwindle back? Like we saw McLaren a couple of years ago in 2017 or 2018, and they were not really the McLaren that we saw this year for sure. Um, it's going to be a matter of how long can McLaren stay there? And there's some rumors going around that the Volkswagen automotive group is getting involved with McLaren and they're going to be, you know, maybe signing them on. There's, there's not really a lot of truth to that statement yet, but the team's financial standpoint has been in question recently. And of course that does eventually trickle down to an effect on how the car does on track because you're not spending as much as the other teams on things like development and upgrades and, you know, all stuff like that. So I think McLaren made the best of what they had. I think they had a great season, but I think especially after the upgrades to Ferrari after Sochi, it was just too much for them. They could hold on to P4, but that was about it. Definitely. And so my, my big question here for you is uh, obviously seeing the struggles that Daniel had this year, um, you know, it was his, his first year in the, in the new, new outfit. And we obviously knew that there was going to be uh, some some growing pains in terms of how he would get along with this this new team of his. Um, he is under contract until at least the end of the 2023 season. But if he does not perform next season in this, well, in this 2022 season, I should say, do you think it is at all likely that McLaren will start to explore other options for that second seat at McLaren? Um, yeah, I think it is likely. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised even if they're already looking as to who they want to sign, you know, going forwards from 2024 on, because this is another situation with McLaren that we see with, uh, Mercedes and we see with Red Bull, where there's this 
sizable age gap between the drivers. Lando mm-hmm. Norris is Lando Norris is younger than both of us. I just realized yeah. that. I know he's younger than me, but that's younger than you too. <laughs> Absolutely is. And Daniel Ricardo, he's what, thirty two now or something like that? Yep. He is thirty two, so he is, you know, not not old, but for the sport he is definitely yeah, he, he's not old, but he, he's, he's he's tipping on that, that range of almost past his prime. Uh, that is definitely, you know, as we all know in the sports world, it's it's a, a fine line to to kind of to 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 kind of tightrope on. But uh, you know, I, I guess you know in this sport, it's kind of uh, it's it's one of those. Well, you know, you, you look at people like Fernando Alonso, and you, you wonder, well, maybe age doesn't have that big of an effect. Um, but you know, it, it definitely is. Uh, it seems like he has lots of years ahead of him still. Um, but again, like, you know, as, as you said, there's definitely a, a favorable gap between the two in terms of, uh, age. Yeah. I think, I think that's also going to play into McLaren looking for who they're going to sign going forward because, you know, yeah, he has a couple of good years left in him, but how many good years are there left in him? you know? And, and when does that tipping point come? Because we saw in Italy, he put it on P2 to start the race and won the race on merit. It wasn't like, you know, yes, Hamilton and Verstappen took each other out in the Italian Grand Prix, but I think even if they stayed in the race, I don't think they were going to catch Daniel Ricciardo. So we can still see that when the cards are right and the car is set up right and everything, you know, is aligned, Daniel Ricciardo can still win races. He won, what was it, six or seven with Red Bull? Make that eight now with McLaren. So he knows how to win races. He knows what he has to do. It's just you got to get the circumstances right. But I think in terms of which driver makes the most of the opportunity that they see on track, I think Lando Norris is a bit more creative on terms of racecraft than Dana Ricardo is. Yeah, I think I could definitely uh, agree with that. I think with uh, with Lando's style of racing, there's uh, you know as we as we know, you know Daniel loves to 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 break as late as possible. I think he's more of a a, a torpedo type of uh, driver in terms of. You know, he likes to go fast and, and break latest, but uh, I think with Lando, there is a bit more uh, technical, you know, skills that have kind of grown as he's grew up in this uh, in this platform. And I think as he goes along, he's uh, he's just getting quicker as the years go. So he's definitely uh, a, a bit more upside, I believe, to to the young driver than uh, than Daniel. But I, I still do believe that, that, as you said, you know, he still is very capable of winning races. Uh, it's just a matter of, of, you know, that setup in, in the day kind of just being right for him. Oh, I just thought of something, actually. Well, besides the fact that I love the Torpedo reference because Daniel Kvyat is... So many people are going to be looking up Daniel Kvyat and Torpedo. What does that even mean? Like, just look it up and you'll thank me later. But I just thought of something. So Pato Award, if you don't know who <laughs> Pato Award is, he is McLaren's IndyCar driver, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tested in Abu Dhabi for McLaren, and he was sitting P1 in that in that session for quite some time. So do you think that maybe McLaren are already exploring the options and seeing what Pato Award can do? I, I would say possibly. You know, I just I, I think after what was a, a pretty shaky season overall from Daniel, I, I I I feel like it's one of those situations in which, you know, with, with all these regulation changes, they obviously give him a chance to, to you know, to, to start off the twenty twenty season and to to kind of show them what he's, you know, what he's made of and to see if he still has that competitive edge. But if um, if he doesn't perform up to the likes, then I, I definitely think that there there could be, uh, you know, maybe maybe a, a stirring of, you know, maybe, 
do you give him a, a, a practice run here or there, or, you know, something to maybe ruffle the feathers of Ricardo a little bit to kind of say, Hey, listen, you know, if, if, uh, if you can't perform, then we have uh, another young budding. You They're going to say, Hey, yeah, we got options. Yeah. We, uh, we, we have got options. we got someone who uh, he'd like to test this out. So, uh, if you're not going to do it for us, uh, it's time to to move along. So I, I definitely think it could be a it could be a potential option for McLaren for sure. Pat's all aboard. So McLaren Formula One in 2024. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. So let's move on to our final team that we're going to be reviewing in this episode. We're going to cover six through ten on our next episode. But next on our list. Finishing fifth in the 2021 Formula One Constructors Championship standings, we have the French outfit of Alpine. Alpine have Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon. They finished this season on 155 points and one race win. A little bit of a debatable race win, but we can still call it a race win. Let's take <laughs> I knew I was gonna get it. Let's take a look at the team breakdown between these two. Fernando Alonso did outbeat Esteban Ocon in terms of races. He won 11 compared to Esteban Ocon's 10 on the season. Qualifying, though, it was a dead split between the two. They both out-qualified each other 11 times, so it was a, it was a pretty, pretty good right there between the two. Points-wise, it is 81 to 74 in favor of Fernando Alonso. Best race finish, Fernando Alonso back to the podium in Qatar. El Plan comes to life there. Esteban Ocon did get the race win in Hungary, thanks to Bottas Bowling. The highest grid position, though, Esteban Ocon did... Uh, only get fifth position in qualifying. That was his highest compared to Fernando Alonso's third. And in terms of DNF, Esteban Ocon did not finish three races compared to Fernando Alonso two. So when we look at Alpine this year, I, I personally was, I want to say that I was impressed with the team, but in terms of like pace and lap times, when we look at how they were as the Renault outfit to Alpine, I didn't really see too much of a difference with that really. But what impressed me personally was how Fernando Alonso did in his first season back to Formula One, because I think my, you know, I'll admit myself included and a lot of other people thought that Esteban Ocon was kind of going to wipe the floor with Fernando Alonso, especially after his last McLaren stint in Formula One, which I mean, we're still making memes about his McLaren stint. So I think that kind of speaks for itself, but you know, Connor to kind of turn it over to you, how do you think that they did this year? You know, the one against the other, because I was a bit more impressed by Fernando Alonso and I, than I think I should have been. Yeah. I think, I mean, looking, looking at just the, the two drivers and, and the, uh, the, the kind of pedigree behind both of them. I, I think you look at Alonso obviously as a, a former world champion who was just uh, a legend in the sport, as we both know, um, compared to Ocon, who's really not, you know, he hasn't really accomplished much of, of anything in this sport. Uh, not to say, it, you know, in a, in a bad way, but just, you know, in terms of the, the two's resumes, comparing them to each other, uh, you definitely look at Fernando as as someone who has uh, all the accolades compared to his counterpart there. Um, but but overall, I, I think it was a fun season. I think that, um, you know, we look at you know, who is, you know, in terms of, of, you know, as we mentioned, you know, Ricardo being a little bit older, uh, you know, Fernando being 40 years old. Uh, you know, racing against, you know, the, the likes of Yuki Sonoda, who when Fernando, uh, you know, debuted in this league, Yuki Sonoda was a mere nine months old. Um, so I, Wait, I think stop it. Was he really? At, he was nine months old when Fernando and Kimi Raikkonen, uh, when they 
in this. Oh my this... god, dude! I never even thought of that. Yeah, Yuki Sonoda was nine months old. So when you think of that, I think it's 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 almost like, all right, dude, listen, Fernando, he he's got it. You know, that's incredible to think that. Uh, not only has he been, you know, around this sport for that long, <laughs> but uh, to think that he was able to kind of you know jump back into uh, this Alpine outfit and and give all these young drivers uh you know a bit of a run for their money was it was pretty impressive to watch it was pretty uh phenomenal to see him just kind of uh just really put it on form multiple times throughout the year and uh, i think it's still you know it's without question that i think esteban kind of proved that he's uh he's still a very talented driver and he's you know somewhat somewhat young in terms of the the field but he's uh he's got potential to be you know someone who can disturb that that kind of front row and uh, kind of just give give people a little bit more of a, a fight than they were expecting, I think, out of him. But overall, I do think that I was a little bit more impressed with Alonso just due to the due to the sheer fact of the age and the uh, the overall uh, you know ability to hop back into this outfit and and just perform. I can't believe Yuki Sonoda was nine months old. Not well, anyway, old. Th- yeah, that's nuts. But. Yeah, I mean, I kind of to touch on what you said earlier about the resumes between the two drivers. Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion, defeated the likes of Schumacher and went up against the likes of a rookie, um, Lewis Hamilton, and has a legit lifetime worth of experience on some of the drivers on the grid. But I think he, in, in this season alone, just kind of, like you said, you know, came in and said, hey, yeah, I still got it. We saw phenomenal defense like we saw from him earlier on in his career, and Great offense as well. If we look back on, where was it, Austria, where he was chasing down George Russell for P10, and they had a a very, very good battle for a couple of laps there. Uh, Fernando Alonso eventually ended up getting the position on him. And then when we look at Hungary, where Esteban Ocon got the win, granted, Valtteri Bottas took out half the field, but I won't get too much into that (laughs) because he did defend against Sebastian Vettel for the entire race. But... Fernando Alonso also held up Lewis Hamilton for, I think, what, eight laps throughout that Grand Prix? Mm-hmm. Now, to put it into perspective for you, um, Fernando Alonso holding up Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso in the Alpine, and Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes, that is kind of like a very speedy but elegant raccoon defending against the cheetah. <laughs> to put it in very rough terminology, you can picture that in your head, however. But at the same time, it goes to showcase the amount of talent that he still has. When he when he scored a podium in Qatar, he he had a very quiet race in P3, but he drove a very perfect race in P3. He knew that he was not going to catch Hamilton and Verstappen fighting out ahead, so he knew that he just had to keep a sizable gap behind him to secure P3, and that's exactly what he did. And any time that the team needed him, he stepped up. He grabbed Alpine and really kind of turned it into his own team. We saw the terminology L plan come in this season, and it was really just the embodiment of the plan that Fernando Alonso has uh, for the team and the direction that they want that to be going. And it's a, you know, he's granted he's 40 years old, but as he said on the radio after the Abu Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the best I think for Alpine is still ahead. We're going to see a huge switch with Alpine going into next year where they're finally adopting the split turbo concept. And it's rumored that they're going to be gaining about 40 horsepower from that power unit. So that's going to be pretty exciting to see as well. And Alpine as a whole, as the organization, it's a team that has 
shot low of the mark that they set for themselves originally when they came back into the sport and bought the Lotus Formula One team and they came back in in 2015, they said that by 2020, they were going to be fighting for the championship. 2020 comes around, they're nowhere near the championship. So they have these unmet expectations that they still have to meet. And I think Fernando Alonso knows that. And coming back to the team that he won two world championships for, he really wants to guide that team in the right direction. Now, when we look at Alpine, though, and their junior driver category, I personally thought that we were going to see Oscar Piastri on the Formula One grid this season for Alpine. Um, whether it would have been for Fernando Alonso or Esteban Ocon, I couldn't really make up my mind because if you look at the, the seasonal breakdown between the two, they were really dead even. But it's you know that they're going to be strong next year. It's going to be a matter of how strong are they going to be and you know, for how long, because reliability for Alpine this season, in my opinion, was the best of the grid. Granted, they had a couple of re- weekends where they had to rebuild Esteban Ocon's car, but compared to the other teams, I think Alpine actually had reliability and durability under well control. Without a doubt. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know if uh, those uh, reliability issues had anything to do with the uh, very optimistic uh, predictions of our co-founder here. But, uh, you know, we, we may never know. Uh, it's just, Yeah, dude, I totally <laughs> jinxed them so many times. <laughs> just, you know, it's just it's it's how the cookie crumbles, as they say. And, uh, you know, just to, just to dial back quick again on the crazy statistic of of that, that age gap that we see there. Um, uh, it was a, a tweet that I had saw a while ago here. So when Fernando Alonso made his debut along with Kimi Raikkonen in, in 2001, the ages of the rest of the field, and I just want to run through this quick because it actually... <laughs> Dude, we were four years old. We had Yuki Sonoda at a mere nine months old. Lando Norris was one years old. Schumacher, one years old. Mazepin, two Stroll, two. Russell, three. Leclerc, three. Max Verstappen, the championship driver that we saw dominate the season. Yeah, he was three. Ocon, (laughs) his teammate, was four. Gasly, five. Latifi, five. Sainz, six. Giovinazzi was seven. Perez, who we all also kind of see as someone who's a, a little bit older in the sport, you know, he was 11. Botas was 11. Ricardo, 11. <laughs> Vettel was 13. And the oldest out of all of those drivers was Lewis Hamilton at 15 years old. So I, I think it goes to show that he definitely is beating Father Time uh, with a sledgehammer. Uh, and it is definitely, it was just an incredible season to see him come back and perform the way he did. Is a uh, question for you. Is Fernando Alonso going to have a longer career than Kimi Raikkonen? Oh, I mean, because now that I'm thinking about it, if he debuted in 2001, I was four years old when Fernando Alonso debuted. So he is absolutely defeating father time. It's going to be and he's still got it. I mean, he's still on the podium and he's still leading a Formula One team. So, you know, for how long has a a lifetime worth of experience on almost every single driver on the grid? He has a lifetime experience on over 50 percent of the grid. I think it's. It's pretty incredible to see what he's doing. So I'm excited to see if he can keep his form for a couple more years to come. I think it's just uh, anything we get from here on out is just uh, it's just icing on the the top of the cake for sure. It's unreal. I didn't. I never. I didn't see that tweet. I must have missed that one. 
it's going to be really exciting for Alpine going forward. I th- they're a really, really hungry team. They have a great amount of resources at their uh, headquarters in France as well. A very historic team as well, winning rally championships back mm-hmm. in the 1960s. Like They have immense pedigree throughout motorsport, uh, multiple championships throughout history of Formula One. Um, I mean, they're on. They're a team that's on a mission, and I think that this uh, change in regulations and this new approach from Alpine switching to a split turbo concept is really going to play well into their hands. They have Fernando Alonso, who's going to continue to lead that team. Probably, I don't even know for how long. I <laughs> I still can't believe that tweet. And um, you know, it, I think the real question is how long do they keep Esteban Ocon for? Because Esteban Ocon's he's going into what his fourth or his fifth season in Formula One, and mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, he's never had even just a breakthrough weekend. And he's a Grand Prix winner, and everyone still looks at it, and he's like, "Yeah, but he would have finished like eighth if nothing else happened in that race." So, you know, I, I, I think Esteban Ocon is an extremely talented driver. He has history with the Mercedes program, but. I've just never really seen a great breakthrough weekend from him where he's just, you know, on it. Like Fernando Alonso has breakthrough weekends and many other drivers up and down the grid. So I think if I were leading Alpine and say I'm in that office and I'm making decisions, which is a, that would be a great idea. Alpine, by the way, I'll give you my email. Um, I'm taking Piastri for Alcon. Yeah, I definitely think that they, uh, they'll have a big decision to make uh, in these upcoming years. And um, I, I think it is uh, purely kind of on Akon to, uh, you know, he either he performs this year and the next. And if he if he doesn't, uh, we, we without a doubt, we see a, a definite switch. Yeah, if he doesn't, it's just, um, well, to Formula E with you, probably. Absolutely. But, <laughs> I think we got a, a couple of fan questions uh, this evening. So let's see. I know we have one from our good buddy, Dan Matthews. Our question from Dan Matthews goes as such. He says, outside of Verstappen and Hamilton, who was your standout number one driver this season and why? So, Connor, I'll let you get started on that one. Well, I think that there is uh, no real surprise here um, when I say it for me was uh, Pierre Gasly. Uh, I think that was uh, probably known from uh, just about any and every single viewer that we have. Um I yes, think, you know, to, to our to our new viewers, Pierre Gasly is Connor's superhero. He, he is uh, he is uh, my fanboy, much like Max's uh, Thomas's. Uh, <laughs> I am one hundred percent a Max fanboy. Um, but I, I just I think overall, you know, uh, fanboying aside, um, I think you look at what he did this year in that AlphaTauri, and I, I think it was just it, it was pretty phenomenal. I, I think he he had a great season. I think he probably could have performed a bit better in terms of you know just overall racecraft, but. Um, you know, his, his single lap pace was just always something to kind of be, you know, surprised at and to kind of be almost at, at one point in the season, you know, as, as we got through to, you know, that second half, it was just almost expected that we see Pierre Gasly fighting to, you know, qualify in that, you know, P5 to, to P4 range. It was just uh, almost, almost just, just mind boggling to see what he was able to do in that, in that outfit. And uh, uh, I think he had a, a great year overall. I think there was definitely many, many drivers that were, you know, more than deserving for that that crown. But I think seeing what he was able to do in that uh, in that AlphaTauri was it was pretty impressive, and it was super fun to see, kind of like uh, you know, just a wild card, just continuously 
be up in that middle of the pack to kind of disrupt the the battles that you know the McLarens were having and the Ferraris were having and the Alpines were having. Uh, you know, it was definitely uh, an interesting and, and fun battle to watch from him this year, and I uh, I, I have to give him the crown for that one. And uh, he he would definitely be my my top driver for sure. Yeah. So for me, actually, I also chose Pierre Gasly. Um, for my number one driver outside of Verstappen and Hamilton. And that was not planned. I promise you that was, not- that, yeah, that was not planned. I actually genuinely did have Pierre Gasly in there. <laughs> um, I think, okay. So when it comes to, I don't know if you noticed this around Twitter as well and, you know, other podcasts that we're friends with and whatnot, but everybody's qualifying prediction this season for the vast majority of the races the top five had Pierre Gasly in it and it almost just became like a normal thing. Like you could, you could write in Pierre Gasly in your top five qualifying prediction and look at it and be like, well, yeah, he's actually probably going to put it there. So I don't even doubt it. And I think that speaks for it enough on its own. We're going to get to our team breakdown of Alpha Tauri in the next episode, but he did completely wipe the floor with Yuki Sonoda um, <laughs> pretty badly. And even when we look at the Red Bull driver program as a whole, including Red Bull and AlphaTauri, um, in terms of team performance, like inside of the team, Pierre Gasly was the number one driver in that program. And when we look long-term, it's really just a question of does Pierre Gasly decide to stay in that Red Bull program or is he going to go somewhere else? Because that's a huge talent that can easily lead a team. He is you know, debatable to say whether or not he's championship material yet because he didn't get enough time in a championship car. In my opinion, when he got pulled up into Red Bull, it was too premature and Red Bull didn't give him enough time to come to grips with the car because they kicked him out mid-season for Alex Albon, who they later on kicked out for Sergio Perez. So it was this like revolving door that we saw with the Red Bull program, Mm -hmm. which we've seen a lot through their history. Um, I think I think now there's eight Red Bull drivers or eight at least, you know, in total drivers who are either current or former Red Bull drivers on the grid. Um, And that just kind of goes to show like how many drivers go through that program. So, you know, when it comes to Pierre Gasly this season, he was my number one driver outside of Verstappen and Hamilton just because of, you know, just performance alone qualifying. He was always in Q3 Um, race. He was always up there what else can you really say you just had a phenomenal season and i'm gonna make a bold prediction uh 2023 we're gonna see pierre gasly in aston martin green so that's my prediction and um i will probably clip this and listen back to it when it comes true and tell all you so that i told you so absolutely a a very optimistic but also a, a very you know a, a very interesting uh uh, it, it would make sense. Uh, it would make w- sense. Without a doubt, I, I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I definitely, I, I think that he would look pretty good in the uh, Aston Martin, you know, racing green colors. Uh, so I definitely think it's it's something that we should uh, keep an eye on. Just, you know, keep it on the radar and see if uh, it comes into fruition for sure. Uh, yeah, he's just question. such a talented driver. Why not? Absolutely. You know, I think it'd be a great fit for him and a, a great fit for that, that Aston Martin team. I think that they, uh, they could use a, a, an aggressive young talent like him to... Uh, to pair next to that uh, amazing Canadian there, Lance Stroll. I can, <laughs> the amazing Go, Canadian. Going, I can, uh, <laughs> going into our second fan question here, uh, Isaiah Lowe 
sent us in a question here. And this one is, uh, I think it's, it's probably on everybody's minds. It's definitely one that uh, will be a hot topic in, you know, Formula One's Drive to Survive series on Netflix and whatnot. Um, the question is, in his first season at Mercedes, where will George Russell end his season in the driver's standings? And I, I think that that is a loaded question because it, it brings up all sorts of different other questions that subside to it, you know, as, you know, will he beat Lewis Hamilton his first season? Will he be, you know, a top three driver in his first season? But overall, if you just boil it down to where he's going to finish, Tom, where do you think he's going to finish up as we wrap up his debut season here um, in this Mercedes outfit? It's a bit too difficult to say where he'll finish in terms of the whole grid, especially mm-hmm. going into the new regulations. We have, you know, new cars coming in, new aerodynamic regulations, new power regulations with uh, this new 10% biofuel uh, regulation now. So everything is changing in terms of the car. So it's really difficult to say, you know, where anybody's going to finish. Uh, we all kind of think that the top teams are going to stay closer up to the top and the lower teams might finish a bit more towards the lower end. But, you know, with new regulations, it's a clean slate of paper for every single team. So, it's it's really kind of hard to tell as to where who will finish who but um you know i do think that it's kind of going to be a bit of a similar running order besides maybe like one or two teams making a big change um so i'll kind of break it down into where do i think he'll finish in the mercedes team and i think that george russell and lewis hamilton are going to have a very much so um lewis hamilton and nico rosberg-esque type of relationship and I think I think George Russell is going to give Lewis Hamilton a run for his money. I really do. Um, in terms of the championship, you know, I'll say I think he will finish top five. Uh, I don't really have any doubts that he'll finish at least top five. It's going to be a matter of you know where in that top five. But I think the bigger picture to be looking at in that Mercedes team is how does he do against Lewis? Because when he did have his Mercedes debut last season in Sakir. His teammate wasn't Lewis Hamilton. It was Valtteri Bottas. So we couldn't really tell at that point. You know, we could only kind of guess seeing how he did on track. And granted, I still think he would have won that race if he didn't have that late puncture. Um, But I think in terms of the inner team battle as to who's number one and who's number two at the team, I think there's going to be a a big, big change at Mercedes coming soon. Um, I think Russell's really going to give him a run for his money. I am going to go against that prediction in terms of uh, the the duel between the two. Uh, and look at us disagreeing. Kind of boldly here. Um, I do, again, I, I think that Russell will, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, it's kind of too hard to know exactly where he'll finish. Um, I am going to give him a, a top five or you know I'll give him I'll give him a top three finish in the driver's standings. Ooh, that's bold. I do think that he's, you know, I, I think he's going to be on. I think he is a great talent. But... As far as it goes between the two, I think they're going to have anything but a Nico Rosberg and Hamilton relationship because of the fact that George Russell knows that he he is the the heir to the throne, so to speak. Uh, he knows that he once Lewis is, especially once Lewis is out of Mercedes, he will be the top dog, and he will be the top dog probably for you know as many years as he wants to be uh, in terms of Mercedes itself. Um, I do think that there is just too much respect in terms of the fellow, you know, Brit drivers. I think that he views Lewis as an absolute hero. 
Um, and I do think that he will play this first season as a as a a dominant, you know, for sure, but a uh, a for sure kind of number two driver to Lewis. I think that he's going to do everything in his power to help Lewis get that eighth world title and kind of send him off into the sunset as like, you know, that that true hero that he views Lewis to be already. Um, and then he is going to definitely, you know, within the next year, uh, I think he will he'll definitely take over that that role as the the top driver there at Mercedes. But I do think that the first season, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of just kind of, uh, you know, the the teacher just teaching uh, in terms of Lewis really just building George up to be that that next dominant racer in this sport. Um, so I, I do think it'll be a, a bit different. I, I don't think that there will be too much, you know, animosity and, and rivalry between the two. I do think that obviously George knows that he can compete for, you know, maybe that top spot this season. But I do, I, I really think it will boil down to the fact that he he just has too much respect in a way uh, for Lewis and who he is as a as a fellow Brit and a a legend in this sport to uh, to really push as hard as he might be able to this this upcoming season. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But I am gonna call that uh, he's gonna be a a phenomenal two driver this year when it boils down to it. Mm, yeah no i'm not agreeing with you I, <laughs> I i i think that dude i think that like we're gonna get in some race situation and we're gonna hear you know team orders come into play oh wait actually connor i just thought of something lewis hamilton got knighted a couple weeks ago right mm-hmm. so he's sir, sir lewis sir lewis actually he is. oh we've, we've been calling him the wrong name in the whole episode and we forgot <laughs> look at us go as americans not knowing how the knighting system well, works you know. go us so <laughs> I think that if you hear a radio call like, um, you know, George move over for Sir Lewis or something like that, I think George is going to go, no, and we're just going to see him torpedo right into him or something. <laughs> I'm calling the the most drama possible at Mercedes, I think. But I, I it's going to be like, I really think it's going to be like Hamilton and Rosberg because Russell is extremely talented. And if it's anything like we've seen how he drives in a Williams, he's not going to back down from anything granted you know will he will he be a little silly for mercedes if they tell him to look out for lewis or or, or sir lewis crap we did it again um you know it's it's gonna all come down to just how it plays out and who wants to listen but i think that it's really gonna come down to qualifying as well who who gets ahead of who oh definitely yeah and i think that it'll you know it'll definitely boil a lot down to the the qualifying and who who can be that clear-cut kind of driver one in qualifying and from there they'll obviously you know they'll make the adjustments that they need to and uh they'll they'll then adjust the you know the team orders to be you know either favoring hamilton for what could possibly be his final season or uh you know favoring george russell and in, in really the passing of the torch there over at mercedes it's gonna be like will uh will russell continue his mr saturday kind of streak mm. What is he now, like 63 and two in terms of qualifying to a teammate or something? Yeah, and I, yeah. it really should be 64 and one because one of those is in a sprint qualifying format. So really, I mean, it should be 64 and one, but we won't get too worked up over it. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see like, you know, how he how he even responds to possibly not having that same success on Saturday. So uh, I think it'll be interesting. But I, I do really do. I, I think that for as as much as we may like some drama there. Uh, I do think that there will be the utmost uh, respect between the two because I, I do, I think that for, for Lewis, there's no better, 
young driver to be handing the torch over to. Um, I, I think that we've all known it for years, and I think that he's, you know, not only known it, but seen it for years that this, you know, this young Brit is going to, you know, come in and take my place, and there's no better person to be giving it off to. Um, and I, I think for George, obviously he does want to compete and want to show that he can be the, the top racer in this you know, platform, but uh, I do think when uh, when it down down and boils to it, uh, I think that we'll see uh, we'll see Lewis have one more phenomenal year, maybe two if we're really being optimistic. But I, I do think that uh, this this upcoming year will will be his final hurrah for uh, this Formula One format. Yeah, I think that um, his his contract only goes to the end of of this season, correct? It doesn't go to the end of two thousand twenty three in terms I, of Lewis Hamilton. I believe it's the end of this season. I think he's on. Uh, and a one-year, outrageously expensive contract. <laughs> oh my God! Probably like forty million or something. It's, it's pretty far up there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that this will be the last. You know, whether it ends this season or whether it ends in two thousand twenty-three, I think that this is going to be the last contract for Lewis Hamilton. I think he's going to hang it up afterwards. I mean, the only thing that's left for him to win is another championship, and then he has every single record besides Kimi Raikkonen's experience record in formula one so absolutely and i i think it's it's definitely at the point in which uh for for sir lewis uh it it's really there's almost there's almost not much more you can do in the sport there's literally like you've done it all you've dominated you've won as many as you could win you've uh you know, he has I, 103 I, race wins he, and 103 pole positions. Yeah, in terms of in terms of that, you know, that drivers chip, that that championship there. Obviously, he wants that eighth. He wants to be able to say that he is, you know, one one above Schumacher. You know, not for not for you know bragging rights, but just for the the sheer like you know, listen, I've I've done all that I can do. That was you know, that's it's really I think one of the only things that he looks at and says, you know, if there's only one more thing I need to accomplish in this in this career it's it's winning that eighth title um which uh you know he was just literally a lap away from doing uh this year um so i think next year he'll come back and and he'll he'll give it his all to uh to try to win it next year and if if he doesn't i do think that uh it could be the last that we see of of lewis at least as a driver in this sport but um if he if he does win it i i think there's no doubt at all that he will definitely uh call it kind of quits yeah, I do got to agree with you. I think that uh, we're definitely coming to the end of Lewis Hamilton's career. I mean, granted, he's been in the league since 2007. I mean, he's I mean, he's he's a, a phenomenal, you know, he 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 came up as a as a young driver and he he definitely is he's been around for quite a while. We I think a lot of us uh we, we tend to forget in a way that he is 37. Uh you know, he did just have a, a birthday recently. Um so he's he's definitely uh he's, I think his birthday is today. Was it today or was it? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's today, actually. It may have been today. It may have been yesterday. I'm not sure. Well, happy wondered. birthday, Sir Lewis Hamilton. I've... Wait, <laughs> let me just check Twitter. Yeah, let's double check that. It was 100% it's his birthday today. So happy birthday to you, Sir yep. Lewis Hamilton. Here's your uh, birthday gift. We're yep. talking about you on our, on our podcast. But yeah, uh, yeah. T- we're talking about you retiring on our podcast for your birthday. So there yeah. you go. Happy birthday. But, uh, you know, I he think is, a lot of people, you know, he's, he's getting up there in terms of, you know, we, 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 we look at Fernando Alonso being a, a beating of father time in terms of how, how he's been able to perform. But then, you know, we, we have to look at Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is, is he, he the second oldest driver on the grid? He, I think now that Kimi is no longer in formula one, he is the second oldest driver 
on the grid uh, at 37, which is, you know, only a, a mere three years off of what uh, Fernando Alonso is. So you have to look at the way he's performing and, and just kind of be, be in awe as well as, you know, he's, he's definitely, uh, he's, he's past his prime, so to speak, uh, as we, we think at least, um, but he's still, he's, he's putting up uh, dominant displays of, uh, of just how great, you know, Lewis Hamilton can be. So it's, I don't even know if we can say that he's past his prime because I think his 2020 and 2021 seasons were two of the best in, in his whole career. They like, very, yeah, they he, very, he's, he's like the Tom Brady of Formula One at this point. That's like oh, the best way to kind of compare. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's aged like fine wine. So, you know, as they say, and he's definitely uh, he's, he's he's not really shown any signs of slowing up for sure for someone who uh, we're, we're always so uncertain on whether or not he's going to, you know, retire the year after or not. But uh he definitely seems like, uh, you know, with, with with his current social media hiatus, uh, it definitely seems like he's uh, he's brewing up something that could be potentially very special in 2022. So we'll definitely have to keep our eyes open for it. Indeed, it'll be very exciting, and it'll be a return to silver for Mercedes next season. They are returning their livery back to the original silver arrow color. They are switching back from the black color livery that they have run for 2020 and 2021. So I think it'll be nice to see them back in silver. I'm looking forward to that. But um, Connor, we're kind of getting to the end of the episode here, but I think that we got uh, I think we got a pretty big announcement for the um, for the listeners tonight, don't we? I think uh, I think it's a pretty big uh, announcement to say the least. I would give you a drum roll, but I think you understand that I cannot give you a drum roll. So <laughs> I will throw it. Why over do you? Here. Why do you do this to me? I will. I will throw it over to you with a little. Uh, oh, actually, I'll give you a two finger drum roll here. So. Oh my God! Just stop it with. The... <laughs> Our big announcement. Us here at the Love of Speed, we are covering the 2022 NTT IndyCar Championship as well as the 2022 Formula One Championship. Yes, we will have two series going on in 2022. They will be on a set schedule, much that you see with the Formula One podcast series, but we will be covering the IndyCar Championship as well from this point moving forward. So be sure to keep an eye out for those episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks as we prepare for what is sure to be an exciting season of good old North American IndyCar racing on everything from ovals to street circuits of Long Beach, California, you name it, they're going to be there. It's an exciting season that we got. We have Roman Grosjean, former Haas F1 driver, former Lotus F1 driver. He is the number one driver at Andretti Autosport. We have the likes of Callum Eilat coming in. We have the likes of Joseph Newgarden still putting in phenomenal results as well. Alex Pillow is the defending champion. Helio Castroneves, he's still kicking it around right now. I mean, it's everything is going bonkers in IndyCar, to say the absolute least. And we are going to be heading into one of the most exciting seasons, and we're going to be giving you all of the coverage imaginable here on The Love of Speed. Yeah, it's going to be uh, beyond exciting to cover these two topics. I'm, I'm, I'm more than excited to kind of hop into it and to really see how uh, – both of these seasons unfold because I, I feel like for for racing in general, uh, the, this is going to be one of the probably the most fun years I think we've had in a very long time. Just when it comes to all of the platforms of racing that uh, that we that we keep in tune with and that we we keep up to date with. So I, I'm beyond excited and uh, I can't wait to to get into these seasons and see how everything kind of unfolds and plays out this year. Yeah, it's going it, to, you know, when we look at this IndyCar season that's coming up, it's it's going to be one that you're definitely going to 
want to keep a close eye on. It's going to be a, it's going to be a real exciting one as well as the formula one season coming up. But all you got to do is just tune into our podcast here and we will keep you up to date on everything. So Connor, do you have anything more for us before we uh, wrap it up here tonight? I am all set for tonight. Thank you everybody again, as always for tuning in and listening to the level speed podcast. It's always great to be back. I'm excited to be back from vacation so to speak. Uh, And uh, definitely look forward to staying in tune with you guys and uh, seeing how this, uh, this, this year kind of unfolds for us. Right. Indeed. I, as well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you to all of our listeners here in the United States and all of our international listeners as well. We hope that you all had a great holiday. We are very excited to be back from our holiday vacations. We're going to have a very, very busy and exciting 2022 year ahead of us, and we cannot wait to share it with all of you. For now, though, thank you so much for listening in tonight, and we will see you on the next one.